Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so that you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. If you've been following along, this is the second of three episodes of my self-titled From the Vault series. It's essentially some episodes I recorded from way back, and unfortunately, I'm just getting around to releasing them now. Specifically with this one, I recorded with Becca a couple summers ago after her one and only season here in Calgary. But first, some exciting news. Guess what? We'll be showcasing some new music starting this episode. My dear friend Sarah Kemmers is a local musician here in Calgary, and I really enjoy her stuff. Check her out on iTunes and Spotify under a couple of different names, The Wellington Folk and more recently, SK Wellington. I'll also include the name of the songs in the show notes. Coming up, current Team Canada forward and former captain of Boston University's women's hockey team, also one of my favorite people back when I was working with the Calgary Inferno, Rebecca Leslie joins me on Story Island to share some funny moments with her teammates. We also assess her spike ball game, plus we dive into some mental health talk at the end. I know it's pretty heavy stuff, but it's also important. Becca, from what I saw, represents everything you want in a teammate. She's loyal, hardworking, and if you're lucky, she might even shed some tears for you on your senior night. She also has a team-first mentality, and she'll play whatever role is asked of her. I definitely saw evidence of that when she took my daughter trick-or-treating one year. I think McKenna dressed up as a unicorn or something like that with wings, but the wings kept falling off, and without skipping a beat, Becca assigned herself to be on wing duty and was picking up my daughter's stray fabric all over the neighborhood. I'm pretty sure she wasn't properly compensated either. McKenna probably gave her a measly snack-sized box of Smarties or something like that. Anyway... My point is Becca always puts the team first, unless she is playing spike ball with Hallie Krasaniak, which we later find out. Well, it looks like Becca's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Becca Leslie here on Story Island today. Excited to have you here. How are you doing? Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Doing well. What's your favorite thing about Calgary so far? Ooh, there's just so many great things. I think it's just an awesome city. You have like the mix between like the country, then you have the city, and the mountains. Oh, it's awesome. Definitely getting up to, to Banff and hiking and skiing and all those things. I think that's one thing that's really something that I don't have in Ottawa so that's one thing that I was drawn to coming out this way um but yeah I love everything about Calgary yeah that's right you're from Ottawa Ontario born and raised mm-hmm. uh how, how is it different in comparison this the two cities yeah I mean honestly I see a lot of comparisons like when even when I was moving in here and I was with my dad he was like oh yeah you I I see this as Ottawa like there's water there's like a big city there's lots of people and I mean, there's hockey, and that's one thing that I've noticed is that I love being in cities that just have little kids playing hockey everywhere and an NHL team that people love to get excited for. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the cities are very similar. The downtown core um, is busy, but then outside there's lots of suburbs and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty close to the same, I'd say. Are the winters different or pretty similar to what you have back home? temperature yeah snow dumps yeah I definitely say it's a little different I feel like there wasn't as much snow here as there is usually at home and it's like freezing at home like negative 30 all the time 
So a little different, but like more or less the same. I guess you have your Chinooks out here, right? Yeah, those are really nice. I had to ask a bunch of people what that meant, but once I figured it out, I enjoyed it. <laughs> but don't you find it a little frustrating though, if you're trying to get on the outdoor rink or trying to build a snowman even? Because it's just melted the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, you wouldn't be able to see that in Ottawa. If there were Chinooks, like the Rideau Canal would never be able to exist. So I guess that's one thing that we can thank the cold weather for is keeping the canal nice and solid. <laughs> so growing up in Ottawa, what was it like, the hockey scene there? Um, how did you get your introduction to hockey? So I grew up with an older brother who... Um, basically played hockey his whole life and zach. yeah zach and so he uh, he kind of got me into it i honestly just wanted to do everything that he did um i did like learn to skate and all that and there's some pictures of me really early on in like figure skates but i honestly don't think i ever wore them like more than once because i was in hockey skates for like as long as i can remember and definitely the one memory i have growing up is on the outdoor rink that my dad would make for my siblings and i so my older brother, Zach, and then my two younger sisters, Catherine and Grace, we'd be out there all hours of the day just battling it out. And it was fun. Like we had like a mini line out there and we'd do drills and we put the cones out. So I think that's the one memory I have growing up is just um, the outdoor rink and then having my dad as a coach. So that kind of helped me a lot. So it was basically Zach and three girls. Yeah. Was it just Zach versus everyone? Yeah, it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely Zach against us and and him and I battled it out quite a bit. Mom had to come out and play referee a few times. Um, one of our like favorite things to do was to have the Christmas lights hanging on the rink. And then we'd shoot pucks at the lights and oh. break them. And yeah, so we quickly went through a few um, strings of Christmas oh lights. And dad wasn't too excited about that. But um, that was one thing that I like loved to do. And sometimes we'd say that it was on accident. But most of the time I was aiming there. That can explain a lot of your pristine... Or your, your precise accuracy, <laughs> hey? Yeah, I guess. I mean, those Christmas lights, hey? Just back in the day. <laughs> but at, at what point did you decide to take hockey seriously? Because you you were telling me before that you played different sports, different activities, involved in different activities growing yeah. up. Um, how did you make the decision to narrow down your focus to just hockey? Yeah, I I lived a very active lifestyle as a kid growing up. Um, we were always on the go, whether we were biking or um, playing outside. And I grew up playing soccer and hockey. So it was like soccer in the summer, hockey in the winter. And I loved playing both sports. I think that that's a huge thing for kids these days is to just focus on doing all the fun things that you can do while it's nice out and then playing hockey in the winter. And I think for me, um, playing soccer growing up was... Um, one of the best things for me, I met some of my best friends playing soccer and honestly it keeps you in great shape too. So that was one thing that I loved is I didn't really have to do much conditioning cause I was having fun playing soccer. Um, but I think after probably the 10th grade is when I kind of decided like, okay, I'm, if I'm going to go for something, it's going to be hockey. Mm. And I played a really high level of soccer. So it was, it was one winter I recall, um, I was part of this like R5 region five program, which is like team Ottawa basically. And you go to tryouts for team Ontario. And I, I missed a weekend of hockey because I went to a soccer tournament and I was like, Oh, okay. I can't miss hockey for soccer. That's not what I want to do. So I think mm -hmm. that was the point where I was like, okay, I think hockey will be my focus. And I mean, 10th grade, I was getting interest from schools and already hey yeah so i, I wow. needed to focus on one of the one or the other and i think that at that point hockey was obviously the clear path for me did you get interest for both sports or was it just the hockey side mostly i don't really know 
I don't really, I remember mostly hockey. I think the soccer side, I don't know how early they recruit, but yeah, I definitely think that if I, I think that if I kept committing myself to soccer, something could have came up, but it was mostly hockey. Um, at that point, it was kind of later on, so I was focused on that. Hmm. How did your parents balance the different schedules and the activities and all that? Because I'm assuming Zach and your two other sisters were involved in stuff too. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know how they did it. I just remember my mom and dad always being on the go. Um, I I think that carpool helped a lot. We'd have lots of close friends and family. Um, Zach played with a teammate who lived next door to us, so they would carpool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and then I, I remember my friend's parents picking me up from school and then us driving to practice because I've actually practiced like 30 minutes away from home most of oh. high school. Yeah. And so my dad worked out that way. So he would kind of pick us all up and one of the parents would drop us all off. Um, but I definitely remember my mom and my dad scrambling to figure us out, figure us all out, but somehow they managed to do it all and they did it so well. And it's actually, it, it's pretty shocking to see like how, how gracefully they were able to do it. I mean, my, both my sisters played competitive hockey and competitive ringette. And so on the weekends, like it was just go, go, go. And not much time for them to have some me time, but uh, we're thankful for it in the end. So it was around that high school time too, where you were playing with the PWHL. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So what, what year did you start playing with the PWHL? So I played, I played a year of Bantam with the Lady Sens. And then after that, I actually didn't make the Junior Sens, which is the PWHL team. So I think that was grade 10. Yeah, so grade 10, I, I ended up getting cut from the PWHL team, which is kind of rare. Like, most girls make it all the time, but um, I didn't. And I actually credit that year that I played midget um, as to, honestly, one of the reasons why uh, I have been so successful in my hockey career. Really? Yeah, I mean, I was the like I was um, one of the younger girls on the team, but still, I was just, I had the puck, and I was playing, and I was confident. I wasn't just um, kind of sitting on the bench and just, like, watching all the veterans play. And I think that's one thing I just got full on experience in the league. And usually, well, if you look back, if I look back on it, I think about the tears I shed from being cut. But honestly, like it was one of the, the biggest blessings in disguise for me. And that's when I first got invited to my first Hockey Canada event um, after that midget year. But playing in the PWHL was, was a great experience. Um, we traveled, so we lived in Ottawa, obviously. Um, but we would play in Toronto every other weekend. So that's like a five hours five-hour drive. I mean, we played in Windsor and London. Those are like seven-hour bus trips. So my dad and my mom were constantly on the road with me. Um, so we play one weekend in Toronto, then a couple teams would come to Ottawa and play against us and then Nepi and the other team in Ottawa. So we were constantly on the road, but it was fun. My teachers probably didn't like me because I missed almost every Friday. I was going to ask you, how did you balance that with school and the homework and assignments that were required of you too? Yeah, I got really good at figuring out how to balance things and to use my time wisely. <laughs> Definitely had to do quite a bit of homework in the car um, and in hotels, which isn't great when you're with your teammates and you just want to oh. hang out and have fun. But we were all in the same boat, so uh, it made it fun to just kind of do study groups. Because everyone wants to go down the big slide at the hotel, right? Yeah, and just want to hang out and play tag and stuff like that. <sighs> but school. Yeah. Describe the league for me, though, the PWHL. Um, cause you were, you talked about doing all this travel, but there's actually like a ton of teams in this league, right? Oh yeah. There's tons. Like, I honestly don't even know how many teams there are because every year they would add a new team. Like mm. it was crazy. I mean, every girl in Toronto was playing in the league because there was teams in Side and Mississauga and Oakville and London and Brampton and 
Kingston, all these teams um, were filled with the best players in Ontario. And I think it's a very competitive league to this day. Um, it's where the best of the best come out of. Um, and yeah, I definitely credit the league and the girls I've played against. I mean, um, girls who play in the CWHL like Victoria Bach and Brooke Webster and um, Jamie Lee Rattray and Laura Stacey and all these Olympians and these incredible players came out of the league and I got to play against them from a young age. So kind of grown up playing with and against them. So it was fun. I mean, yeah, it's a great, great time. You were saying that around that time you got your first exposure to the national program as well. Yeah. How did that opportunity come about? Yeah, I remember, I think I was in 10th, ninth or 10th grade and I um, got a phone or an email inviting me to um, the first strength and conditioning camp that I was um, asked to be part of. And it was in uh, Toronto, some Toronto area probably. Um, and yeah, I was honestly, this is my dream come true. I, I had always dreamed about playing on a national team and just to finally see like the hard work that I've been putting in for years um, pay off. It was really exciting uh, for me and my family. And honestly, it opened my eyes to so many things. That camp was, I learned so much. It's honestly crazy. The things like strength and conditioning, I never really, like I would train in the, in the summer, but I never trained the way that you need to train to be uh, an elite athlete like I trained for hockey but you need to be an all-around athlete and I think that's one thing they really stress on us is that you can't just focus on hockey you have to focus on all the little things that are going to make you an athlete and um, the one thing I always remember from them is they talk about filling your buckets hmm. and so you have a bucket of strength you have a bucket of agility you have a bucket of mental you have a bucket of speed and on ice and all these buckets and you're constantly trying to even out the buckets and um, you can't have one bucket heavier than the other, so you've got to figure out a way to manage all of them at once. So that was pretty cool. And all, obviously meeting um, all the Hockey Canada people and the staff and people who are involved, people who I still deal with to, to this day, um, was pretty cool to think back then. Going in there, which bucket was the emptiest for you? Oh, a couple were empty, but definitely probably my strength. I was really small, um, small growing up, so definitely working on my strength is one thing I noticed that um, was definitely going to need to be filled, and so I'm still working on filling it. So. Hey, you're lifting pretty heavy right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it was that um, made you stand out? Because, like you were saying, there's a ton of girls who play in this league, a bunch of teams. So really, Hockey Canada has a lot to evaluate, a lot to choose from. Yet you got the yeah. email. Yeah, um, I think for me, the one thing that helped me stand out was the players I was playing with. Uh, my age group in Ottawa was a great age group. A lot of us went on to play NCAA um, at different schools. And I think that growing up playing against against and with such strong players, we played together forever. And I think that in practice, we were always competitive. And um, most of these girls I went to high school with and uh, I played soccer with. And so we were really close. And I think that's one thing that brought us together is every single year, it was mostly the same team. So we knew what we were expecting um, and we worked really hard all the time. So I think that's one thing that kind of helped me stand out as the people around me. But I also think that just uh, in the off season, that one thing that I would work on was my puck handling and uh, my, my stick handling. So I think that's one thing that stood out for me is I'd like to say like I'm a pretty good passer. So that's okay. kind of like the one thing that, that I've constantly been working on. And I think that's the one thing that Hockey Canada probably saw for me was my vision and my, um, my skill with the puck. Right. And just the ability to create um, plays for your teammates or yeah. for yourself, right? Yeah, that's that's the goal. Make everyone around me look better. <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about how a bunch of those girls were playing NCAA. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you start thinking about post-secondary? What did that journey look like for you? Yeah, 
I remember um, making my first Team Ontario, um, Team Ontario Blue, and we went to nationals in Dawson Creek. Um, and so that was the one event that I went to and I looked up in the stands and I was like, wow, there's a ton of scouts here. I mean, we would have scouts at our, just our regular season games and like tournaments and stuff like that. But I looked around, I'm like, wow, there's a ton of scouts here from different schools and I don't even know who they are, but they're watching. So that was the one moment that I think my eyes were really open because you're playing against all the best players in Canada. So, um, the big schools were there and that's, that was definitely the one time that I, I noticed it. And so that's when I started to realize, okay, maybe um, playing in the NCAA is an option for me and um, kind of just went on from there. When the offers came in, what did that landscape look like for you in terms of which schools contacted you, um, mm-hmm. NCAA? And were you also considering staying in Canada and playing in U sports? Yeah, I definitely didn't want to close any doors. I mean, um, education was really important to my family and to me. And so... Um, keeping as many doors open as I could, I definitely considered all my options, and I reached out to some U Sports schools. But in the end, the NCAA route was the option that I took, and I was lucky to be recruited by some some great schools, and ultimately chose BU for a number of reasons. I could go on forever talking about BU; it was such a great experience for me. Well, what were some of the big reasons that you chose BU? Uh, honestly, um, I was really late at committing. I didn't commit until. November of my senior year of high school and that's like very rare now girls are committing in like ninth grade but yeah me I just wanted to wait I wanted to wait until I knew exactly where I was going to go and looking back I think the one thing that I remember the most is I didn't commit to a point where the coaches could start to come to my house and talk to my parents so um, the BU coach Brian DeRocher um, one of my all-time favorite coaches he actually came to my house and he had um, dinner with my family and just spoke to us about the school. And the one thing I chose BU for was just his, he had a great personality and I knew he was going to be there for four years. So I knew that I was going to have a coach that I trusted and he was um, very transparent with me. Um, but also they have just such a great education there. I mean, I was going to get the best of both worlds, play an elite program, get a great education, obviously play with Marie Philip Poulin for one year and so how could you not as a little Canadian girl watching her oh. fresh out of Sochi <laughs> so well it was definitely yeah lots of things but the education the great the hockey program itself definitely pulled me towards BU did your parents have you know other opinions on different schools you they wanted you to go to or uh they were like whatever you choose we're on board with oh yeah they were super supportive I was looking at Ivy League and looking at um, non-Ivy League schools and they were like just go with your gut um, I went on a couple official visits which is like rare now for that girls who go on an official visit before they commit like usually girls now commit and then go on their official really yeah okay. so I, I can't remember the like I think it's September when you're allowed to go and start your official visits okay so I actually took a weekend trip after hockey in Toronto I flew to a couple schools and I was going back-to-back schools. Um, so I went to BU, the first school that weekend, and I loved everything about it. I couldn't stop talking about it, how much I loved it. But then I went to another school right after, and I couldn't get BU out of my head. So at that point, when I came back home, I knew that BU was the school for me. What did the adjustment look like for you going into NCAA hockey, both from a ice level and also campus level? BU is a huge school. I don't know if you've ever been to Boston. I have. Yeah, well, Boston... Um, downtown Boston is kind of crazy, but BU happens to be just outside of downtown, right near Fenway Park. 
But um, still busy though, right? Oh, it's super yeah. busy. But BU is nice because it's just one long strip of campus. It's like two miles basically. Um, so I couldn't really get lost. It was just one street. You just had to put an address in and you'd be, you'd be on the left or the right of the street. So it's called Commonwealth Avenue. Um, so that was one thing in the beginning. I was like, oh my God, I'm in this big city. I'm going to get lost. I'm not going to know where to go, like all these things. But, um, we had great upperclassmen who really just kind of showed me the way. Um, I knew my, I knew my roommate, Victoria Bach, Mm -hmm. um, before going in. So that gave me a little bit of comfort too, um, knowing that she'd be there with me and we kind of go through it together, but it was definitely a big transition being so far away from my family. My dad and my mom went to every single hockey event that I had ever participated in my whole life. And now they might not be able to go as much as Mm. I had wanted them to, or they could, could manage. So it was going to be different, um, kind of all around, but I actually, I think my transition was pretty smooth. I, I didn't, I don't remember having too many conflicts, obviously a little bit of homesick here and there, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty quick transition. Pretty, pretty smooth. Did you and Victoria talk about going together at all and what it would look like? Yeah. So we talked a bit. Um, we, we grew up playing together and against each other, team Ontario and team Ontario blue and red. Um, and so I actually, so we both committed very late and I committed in November. I want to say she committed like the end of November and I committed beginning, like close right. together. I think it was right after one of our Team Ontario events. And I was like, you got to come. Like, it'll be so fun. Like, we're going to do so well together. Um, you're such so a you great... were pitching her. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. you got to come. It's going to be a great experience. I remember um, telling her, like, it's going to be so fun. We're going to play and we'll play together and we'll do well. And um, yeah, I... I remember, like, obviously I didn't sway her decision that much. She loved BU just as much as I did, but it was, it was definitely fun knowing someone there. What was your role heading into year one? Um, you had a pretty successful first year. Yeah, I had a, I had a good year. Um, definitely a little bit different. There's lots of things on the ice I had to get used to. Um, I think the one thing that just about hockey in general is, like, the time commitment to hockey so we would go from class all day to a lift at two o'clock to practice at three forty-five, dinner at six in the dining hall of the team and then homework all night. And I think that just that routine kind of, it was, it's pretty exhausting. I mean, you're a student athlete and you're, you got to do well in your classes or else you can't play. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of different for me. And so there was, uh, there was points in the season where I was like getting pretty tired of, with, with everything, but um, I think I was able to surprise myself in my first year at BU. Um, I was able to earn a lot of minutes, um, both on the power play and the penalty kill and with the consistent line mates. Um, and my line, Rebecca Russo and Maddie, Maddie Elia, two players of the NWHL, um, we played together for two to three years while I was there. Mm. So we, we kind of got going pretty quick. We were really good friends off the ice. And so that kind of translated on the ice, um, the three of us. So my first year at BU, I, I didn't really know what to expect about the hockey on ice. I knew that the girls were going to be a lot bigger and quicker. And uh, we had some legends on our team like Marie-Philippe Poulin and um, all these big names. And so I was just looking to soak in the moment and kind of do my best. And luckily, I was able to be put in some key situations as a freshman and um, some power play and penalty kill. And so I ended up playing pretty well and got on a pretty consistent line with Maddie Russo or Maddie Ilya and Rebecca Russo. Um, two NWHL players and we played together for a few years um, while I was at BU and so we kind of got some good chemistry and yeah I think they were really um, key factors in why I was successful as a freshman. Pulling from what you were talking about earlier with the strength and conditioning camp mm-hmm. with uh, the national program 
that must have given you an edge as a freshman heading into your first year at BU that you were just on a on a good path to getting physically stronger uh, than some of your teammates and opponents. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have experience at the under-18 level. I went to the World Championships um, in Budapest, Hungary, uh, right before, well, my, my, my March break of grade 12, basically. Um, and so that was an amazing experience for me, and I was able to kind of get my foot in the door with Hockey Canada, um, get my first experience wearing the jersey, and um, kind of make a name for myself in the program. And after that, I was lucky to be invited to the under-22 um, camps in May and then again in August and unfortunately I didn't make the series team in August of going into my freshman year and so that that was kind of a bummer because I, I was hoping that I'd go into the into freshman year on a high but I was kind of a little disappointed but um, in the end it all worked out and I was invited to the fall festival that year um, during my, my freshman year we were lucky we had so many players um, from BU go and so that's kind of when I realized like wow we're going to be a good team and um, I'm excited for the, the year to start, and uh, when I was at that camp, I just did my best and um, was excited to get back to BU. So heading into your second year, you actually finished off your sophomore season uh, leading the team in assists and points. Did you do anything different in your in your off season um, between first and second year? I don't think I did anything different, but I definitely think my confidence levels were... Um, much higher going into my second year. Why was that? I think that I just was so comfortable with BU and um, I, I loved being there and I stayed for summer school and I trained with the team and honestly all four years I can't even remember one time when there was conflict on our teams. Um, we had great leadership from the moment I stepped on campus and um, Dakota Woodworth, obviously an Inferno girl, um, she was on our team and people like her kind of brought the classes together and made the team feel like a whole. Um, I definitely think that it was, a, it was definitely easy for me, um, to jump in and have a big role in the team as a sophomore and a freshman, um, because the girls were so great. Everyone just wanted to do well for the team. And I think that's one thing that really helped me do well. What were some of the biggest things that you learned from Poulin in that first year? Oh my gosh, I was just in awe of her. Every practice, I would just be constantly watching her and like hoping I don't have to go against her in a drill because she's so good. But definitely her leadership skills. Uh, she's obviously one of the best players in the world and she came back after an amazing Olympics and she honestly didn't probably have to come back. She didn't have to come back to BU for another year, but um, she committed to BU and she committed to the program. And I think that just tells a lot about what BU is all about um so she came back and she she was incredible uh, just watching her in the games and like how does she do that hmm. um still to this day I'm like how does she do that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah definitely her leadership and her work ethic she was kind of a quiet leader but she knew when to speak up and she spoke up a lot of the time in her actions uh she always made sure that we were going to keep each other in check and that we were going to come out and play our strongest and yeah she's she's crazy she's so good <laughs> Well, you actually had the opportunity to get a captaincy in your fourth year as well, mm -hmm. right? At that point, who did you want to try to emulate as a captain? Or did you figure out what type of leadership style you were comfortable with? Yeah, I think I was a combination of someone who led by example, but then someone who also um, was vocal. And I think that throughout my years, I had different leadership groups who showed different types of leadership skills. And I was lucky to kind of see from them and learn from them. 
um, people like Mary Flynn, Dakota Woodworth, and Kayla Titino, mm-hmm. and these huge names who are great players in the, in the hockey world. I was lucky to learn from them for three years. Alexis Crosley, another one. Natalie Flynn. There's just there's just so many incredible leaders um, that went through the program. And I was kind of able to take little things that they did, um, just kind of putting the team first and um, being a trustworthy person. There's so much more than just hockey when you're at university. And I think that a lot of those girls were able to to find a way to be someone that the girls on the team trust and someone who works hard um, off the ice and on the ice and someone who works hard in the classroom. I think that you have to kind of encompass all those things to be a good leader at the university level. And yeah, hopefully my teammates will one day say that they looked up to me as a good leader and they they use some of the skills that I exhibited. But definitely, I was just lucky to have a group that trusted me and the coaching staff trusted me um, to lead the way. If you had to give one piece of advice to the next up-and-coming captain at BU, based off of the great tradition of leadership that has gone through those doors, what would be like the biggest thing you would just stress? Yeah, Boston University just has such a strong tradition of having a great culture. And I think that's one thing that every single year, um, the team atmosphere was incredible. I can't, like I said before, like I can't remember a season where there was like any bickering or drama. And that's so rare on a women's team. Um, And honestly, it's just the the people at BU are are so great. And I think that um, the only advice that I would give to um, the next upcoming captain is you have to you have to be the hardest worker um, mm-hmm. on the ice in the classroom and you have to have um, your game face on in all those areas too because people are going to be looking up to you even when you don't think they are they are hmm. throughout all your time at BU what was it like juggling that and also some commitments with the national program and um, whether they picked you or not right mm-hmm. like because even yeah. mentally I think that takes a bit of your capacity yeah I mean, obviously, you know that as a national team player that they're, they're going to be watching you and they can watch you at any point. Um, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I'm the type of player that kind of looks in the stands. So I, I can kind of see if there's a – in warm-ups especially, I can kind of see if there's a scout in the stands. And um, I definitely pay attention to that. But uh, more so, I just kind of focus on my, my game and kind of stay consistent and try to stay as – as consistent as I can be and obviously it's in the back of your mind that if I don't play well in this game I might not make this event but you can't really focus on that while you're at school you have to just focus on the school and I think that if you commit yourself to being the best student athlete at your university and be the best player you can every single day at school that they'll notice you and that they'll um your hard work will be noticed and that um you'll be rewarded for that and I mean there's a few winter breaks that um, I went to Germany for the Nations Cup. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Yeah, Nations Cup. Yeah, Nations Cup. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, it sucked being away from school, but the girls in our team were so great that they they would all choose to go represent their countries at any time. Um, so they were really supportive. And uh, I just remember my senior year, I missed like four games. And Bach and I missed four games. And it was it was tough for us. We're like, this is our senior year these are huge points for our team and now we're missing four games like this sucks, but um, they're really supportive and letting us go do that, do that national team stuff. And then we came back and um, helped the girls out, but we were always following along. So I wanted to ask you this question um, pertaining to Dakota Woodworth's story. And well, that was I, so just, funny. I, I want your side of the story. <laughs> um, 
Dakota, obviously a friend of the podcast, but she had told that story about how it was her senior night, (laughs) not yours. Yeah. But it was you ending up in tears on the bench. Yeah. What happened? (laughs) Oh my God. That was a funny day. Um, (laughs) Well, not funny at the time, but so we had just, it was a hockey East weekend. Um, We were playing a semifinal game against Northeastern and one of our seniors during off ice warm up before practice like breaks her leg mm. and Sarah Lafort and she played on the Lake Canadian and yeah. she was one of our top forwards. Um, and so obviously like I was just devastated for her. Like this is her last few games in college and now she's, she can't even play. She has a broken leg and it was just really upsetting. Um, so I ended up beating Northeastern that game. Um, and yeah, we, we played for her and we did our best for her and that class was incredible all my best friends um a lot of them actually were in that class and so I knew that like okay the days are counting down that they're going to be on campus that they're going to be on the ice with me um but going into that (laughs) that final game I was not anticipating crying the whole second half of the game but we ended up getting down by a few goals and I was like oh gosh like I don't think we're coming back from this like it was it was it was gone at that point um, and I just remember like crying and I'm an easy crier. Like I could cry very easily. Um, but I just remember like looking around and like seeing these like great players and I'm like, Oh, this is so sad. Like their time has come to an end. And when you're a freshman, I don't think you really realize that like people are going to come and go, but as your years go on, you're like, Oh, you have to soak in every moment. Um, yeah. So seeing Dakota and those guys, like it was really upsetting but yeah I definitely cried the whole second half of that game and my coach was like leaning over like why are you crying and I'm like I can't stop so. I was gonna ask you what DeRocher was saying at that oh point, yeah he, no he wasn't even looking at me it was our assistant coach oh, okay. uh, coach Kumi like coach DeRocher was like oh gosh I'm not even gonna get involved <laughs> with that but coach Kumi was like what's going on are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm fine I'm just sad so what was your senior game like your final game oh that was just pure devastation uh we were playing in Maine, and so it was my first time ever not having a home ice advantage for the playoffs in the first round. Um, and we were playing in Maine, the first game, three-game series, we lost. And so the second game, do or die, we come out with a win. So pumped. Um, third game on the Sunday in Orono, Maine. I don't know if you've ever been to that ring in no. Maine. Well, like you have to like climb through the stands to get to the ice level. You have your skate guards on. You literally climb down the stands into the ice, into the bench. It's just like a whole ordeal. Like hmm. Maine wasn't my favorite rink to play at in college. And so the five-hour bus trip to get to Maine was also the longest. So it was just a rough weekend, but uh, we embraced it. And we're going into the game three, and we're up 3 nothing with 10 minutes to go in the third period. And they score one, and we're like, okay, we're fine. But then they score two. We're like, yikes. And then they scored the third goal with the tie it. And we're like, oh gosh, like this is so scary. I'm mm. a senior, like now we have to go into overtime. Um, and I, yeah, so we went into overtime and I just remember it was just back and forth and I happened to be on the ice in the last moments of the game. And yeah, when they scored, it was really upsetting. I just remember like falling to the ground and being like, wow, this is over. And I don't think it really hit me until the bus ride home when mm. I was with my teammates I'm like wow this is the last bus ride I'll ever take with these girls and that was really upsetting but um it was just probably yeah. more shock from the ice yeah hey? definitely shock but there are so many amazing memories that even when I think back in my time at BU like I don't even think about the wins or the losses or that last game like I think about like just the practices that we would just be constantly laughing and 
um, all the amazing players that I played with and people that I met at school. Uh, so there's so many great things about BU that honestly, it's tough to think about that last game, but uh, my whole experience there was amazing. So now at this point, you finished four years at BU. Did you start thinking about life after hockey or life after post-secondary and what that would look like for you? Yeah, as a national team player and someone who's in the program, and I was hoping that I would continue on as much as as long as possible in the national team. Um, so I knew I wanted to keep playing and kind of weighed my options. And um, the CWHL was uh, obviously one that stood out to me, um, knowing a lot of the Olympians that played in the league and former um, BU teammates that joined the league once they graduated. Um, I kind of just knew that that was the path for me. I'd been t- I'd talked to a few teams once I um, graduated, but I honestly had no idea where I wanted to play. But I, I wanted to go where um, the most girls that would be competing for national team spots would be. I wanted to play with and against uh, the best players, and the CWHL ended up being the spot for me. And, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a pretty easy decision that the CWHL was the league I'd be playing in, okay. but it wasn't easy for me to decide where and what team I wanted to play for. Let's get into that. Yeah. What were some of the biggest factors that you considered – when it came time to choose your team, um, again, were you talking to Victoria through all this as well? Yeah, we d- we definitely were both talking. She's from like the GTA area, so she knew she was going to either go play in Toronto or Markham, and I definitely didn't want to play in those areas. Why um, not? I just the city's just so big, and it's it's far from like it's five hours from home in a car ride. I know that doesn't seem far at all when I'm in Calgary. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but there's just something about I, I spent my whole high school in Toronto, and I. I knew that city. I think I've stayed in every single hotel there. And I don't know. I just didn't. Nothing drew me towards Toronto. Um, obviously, they're great players there, great coaching staff, great organizations. But I was really drawn to Montreal and Calgary. Um, yeah, the two top teams in the CWHL. Yeah, and not even because of that. Just because Montreal was close to home and the hub of hockey Canada's in Calgary. So yeah. I was like, oh, like what do I do? Um, I talked to players on, on all the teams almost about – um, their experiences and how they liked it. And honestly, I don't think that there would have been a bad team to go to. Um, ultimately, I chose Calgary. I don't even know like what the final decision was and why, but I had this gut feeling that Calgary was a place that I needed to be. And um, they had great training program. And kind of everything was in one spot for Hockey Canada. We'd have our skill sessions there. We'd have our training there. And then practices and games were all in one spot. And that's kind of the one thing that drew me. Uh, there and Montreal is a very veteran team and they've been good for years and they had some great players in their team so I thought that there'd be more of a role for me um, with the Inferno. How did your parents take that? Oh they were just supportive they were like do what you want you got this kind of thing I have family in Calgary and out west so my dad was like oh yeah just go for it they'll come watch you you can go for dinner and I have a place to stay so. But it's like they don't get to see you play anymore that well I guess they have the streaming but yeah, so they had the streaming and actually my dad ended up coming to like every single game in Toronto and Montreal. So he saw me play more this year than he did in, when I was at BU. Be, really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was nice. It's definitely, I love having him in the stands and having my mom and my sisters and my brother in the stands too. Um, yeah. So it was actually pretty, not too bad at getting them to the games. So every time you had played out east, it kind of felt like a home game for you then? Yeah. You had friends and, and family come out? It felt so weird to be playing in Toronto. I'm like, whoa, like I grew up playing here and now I'm back again. So it's kind of funny how thing go, things go full circle. So Was it a smooth transition for you to come out to Calgary? 
I think that there were a lot of things that I was just very unsure about. I had an amazing four years at BU and so part of me was like very torn about not going back and not playing there. And so I knew Dakota very well, so that helped a lot. Um, we were roommates um, this year before she moved home. Yeah. And so knowing that she would be here and knowing that I would have her to lean on, um, that was one thing that definitely drew me here. And all the national team players here, I mean, they're incredible people and incredible players, and I knew that they would push me. Uh, and that's one thing that I needed to be in, in a spot where there was there was a great um, atmosphere on the ice and – um, competitiveness and so Calgary was definitely the best decision for me um, I, before I committed actually like probably a, a week before I decided to come to Calgary it was basically already decided but um, like Decker and Bellamy um, like signed with Calgary and I was like whoa like this is gonna be crazy like we're gonna be great I'm so excited um, the transition was different like on the ice but um, kind of like BU I slowly got got used to it what do you think was the biggest jump on the ice just like faster girls, stronger girls? I think faster, stronger. I mean, the quality of the CWHL was incredible this year. Yeah. Uh, It's a great league to play in. And I think that it was amazing just being able to play with some of these players who are just like world-renowned hockey players. And um, yeah, definitely the speed and the strength of the girls and the skill. I don't think people realize like how skilled a lot of these players are. What was it like playing against Marie-Philippe Poulin for the first time? I'd never played against her before. So it was like, wow, you definitely want her on your team and not playing (laughs) against her. She just does a lot of the things on the ice, right? Almost everything, right? Like she is, um, she's a skilled forward. She's a strong forward. She's powerful. I mean, there's not many things you can say that she's not good at on the ice. And just the way she carries herself, she's confident, but she's not cocky. She's extremely humble. um, And I admire that out of her. You weren't assigned to defend her, though, were you? Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> or take a face off against her. Thank God I'm a winner. Winger. <laughs> um, what were some of your favorite moments from your one and only season, I guess, with Calgary? There's so many moments that I can think of. Um, definitely our home games. It was really fun to have, like, a home rink and come together and play. Uh, we always got excited. Um, so that was one thing. It was tough. We had 7 a.m. practices. Um, a lot of us worked grueling schedules. Um, mm-hmm. Wake up at 5.30, go to practice, co-work all day, try to fit in good meals, recover, go to sleep early. You know, so we lived like hockey, 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 um, mixing a little bit of work here and there, but mostly hockey. Another memory that I have from this year is China. Um, I was pretty nervous to fly to China. I've never been in an airplane for that long. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Ended up sleeping like the whole way. And the girls were like, oh, how could you do you that were to one us? Of those. Oh, yeah. Uh. Just slept the whole way and loved every second of it. I'd just like wake up for a meal and I'd go back to bed. You and Crom. Oh, yeah. Crom, Dakota. Dakota was out too. Oh, eh? Dakota is like always out. You can't even sit on a plane with Dakota because she sleeps from like the 20 minute plane rides into like the 21 hour plane rides. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you, then, did you pop some melatonin? Or yeah. you didn't even need the help no, of I, that? No, I, need, I needed the help a little bit. Okay. But yeah. And then the, just the best memory was obviously in the end winning the championship yes. with the team. I think that, yeah, we battled through quite a bit of adversity throughout the year. Uh, had to have a new coaching staff named and different players coming in and having different roles. And I think that in the end it was the best way to cap off the year um, was winning the championship. 
it's just something I'll never forget. I, I mean, I was so lucky to play with such amazing players like Brianne Jenner, Rebecca Johnson. Like I haven't even talked about them, but they're just the best. They're up there with Marie Footplin. Like I was so lucky to learn from them all year. Uh, Blair Turnbull and people that kind of go fall under the radar, like Kelty Apperson. These are just like incredible people that, that just encompass what a professional athlete is. And right now for us, it's working all day and then coming to the rink and, people like Crom and Kelty and Goose and I mean all these girls on the team like majority Lou Lou's a police officer like she comes to the mm-hmm. rink every day and, and after working like a 12-hour shift like to come together and yeah. then just win a championship was just amazing another memory that I have of this year was actually watching the Super Bowl in the airport <laughs> so we were flying home from Montreal and we were on the bus and we're all like okay how can we figure out how to watch the Super Bowl because we're going to be in the air so we're all downloading all these apps to to figure things out um turns out our flight just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and so we ended up watching the whole Super Bowl meanwhile we're supposed to be home by then and we watched the whole thing and then our flight got canceled so we ended up staying the night in Montreal um so that's another thing that I remember it's just all of us huddled together um watching the game and that's just one thing about our team we were so close all year yeah so it was really fun before we get into some more stories about your teammates uh you brought up this point about working as a professional, but still trying to eat healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, any tips around that? Because again, you're—it seems like you're always on the go. Um, how do you stay ahead of the game so that you're always still putting good food into your body and not just settling for fast food or something out of a wrapper? It's exhausting. I mean, it's—it's. It's... It honestly feels like another job on top of it. You have to meal prep, and that's the one thing that it's kind of gotten me through is just meal prepping, and um, a lot of the time it's like leftovers from dinner and heating those up. Uh, but nutrition is huge, and so I do my best to pack some some healthy snacks um, on the road, and then meal prep um, protein shakes definitely help too. Have me. you ever have you ever um, played or practiced on an empty stomach? Oh no, I always try to eat. Like I do don't think I'd be very successful not eating um yeah I'm I'm definitely the type of person that would eat but I know lots of the girls that they wouldn't be hungry at like five in the morning so they wouldn't really eat too much yeah um but I was I, I definitely like I'm always eating so yes let's get into some stories okay <laughs> um I think we'll just start here yeah Decker was on here and she was talking about doing your laundry was she just doing everyone's Laundry or was it just yours and oh, why? No. And why? No, no, I was a lucky one. So like I did my laundry. Like I'm not that dirty of a person, but like I don't know. It's hockey. You need to do it. It's your stuff smells, so you need to do it like consistently. And I'd kind of do it like twice a week or once every two weeks. So. But why did you get VIP treatment? <laughs> because I would always be like Decker, like oh, like your clothes are, they smell so good. And she's like, yeah, but like, don't you do your laundry every day? I was like, well, I do my clothes, but like, I don't necessarily do my hockey, like under armor. Like I can wear it a couple of times. And she's like, no, that's disgusting. Like, I'll just do it for you. And I was like, okay, sweet. Is there, is there a backstory to this, uh, respect thing going on with Casey? Oh, <laughs> kind of. Yes. So like, actually, yeah, there completely is, but you'll have to, you'll have to get Blair Turnbull on the podcast to get the full story, but okay. I can kind of, I can kind of spill the that. beans a bit. So it was like when we were all in the rivalry series, um, obviously there's no friends on the ice. We're all teammates, but um, having American teammates isn't always fun when you're playing against them in the rivalry series. So I, I guess it was like after one of the games and like 
I'm the type of person that, like, when I hear a joke and I think people think it's funny, like, I take it and I run with it. And, like, I wasn't really even part of it, but, like, I made it funny. And Blair probably will be like, no, Becca, like, you wouldn't, you made it, like, so annoying. But, (laughs) so, I guess after one of the whistles, one of them went up to each other and they, like, kind of slashed them saying, like, oh, you got to respect it. Just, like, respect it. And so, like, from then on, like, whenever anything happened, like, Casey would be like, you got to respect it. Like, our flight's delayed, respect it. Like, their sticks didn't show up, like, respect it. Like, so it kind of just, like, snowballed from there. But it it started between Blair and Casey. Oh, yeah. It started between them, like, kind of as a joke in the series. But, like, just because that was a very physical series and a very um, intense series. And so it was kind of funny to see that little humor come out of it. Do you have a response to any of those two? Casey or Decker? Any stories that you can tell? Oh, well, I've got a couple stories, but I'll just keep it to one. Casey and Dex are the funniest people because, like, they are so intense on the ice. Um, and I, that's what makes them so good is that they're intense with each other and they're very competitive and they give 100% all the time. So there's a few times that, like, they would bicker back and forth about, like, what happened on the ice. But then two seconds later, they're laughing about it. Uh, but kind of just going off that, like Dex is the most intense person you'll ever meet, like practice, like before practice, like during the game in between periods, like you, you can barely get a smile out of her if she doesn't have her headphones in. Um, but one like hilarious thing happened in practice. We kind of like, as a joke, always, when someone's doing a drill, you kind of shoot your puck at them as they're going down the ice. And I guess Dakota like ripped one at Decker stick and like it, she lost her puck in the middle of the drill and she's about to shoot. And so Dakota shot a puck off of her stick and hit it. And Dex got so mad. She was freaking out and like, she didn't know who did it, but it was Dakota. So we're all like cracking up, but we're like, oh crap, like Dex doesn't think this is funny at all. And then after the fact, she laughed it off, but she was so mad during it. She needed that shot. Did she find out it was Dakota? I think, yeah, she definitely did in the end, but she was not laughing in the moment. It was really funny for us though. Top three funniest moments of the year. What made you laugh the hardest? Oh my gosh. Spike ball. Spike balls up there. Oh, like we would be so competitive with our spike ball. Casey, Casey and Dex actually both came in late to our spike club, our spike ball club. Okay. So it's kind of like me, Annie, yeah, Johnny, Coda, Kelty, Goose, um, then Dex and um, Blair and Casey kind of all joined in, and it was so fun. Like we were extremely competitive, and like we had we were we were pretty. So I think we could play in like the professional spike ball league if there, there was one. Um, but so what was funny about it? Oh, everything. Like someone would miss a ball and like Kelty would be like on the ground laughing to the point she's going to like pee her pants. And like Annie, this is like the most intense person I've ever seen. Like Annie is like so chill and relaxed and you see her in spike ball. She's got like her hood on and she's like sweating more than she does like all the time because she's working so hard in her spike ball game. It's just so funny. Casey's like what? 30, 32. And she's acting like a five-year-old playing this this spike ball game. It's just hilarious. And we brought it to China, and that's kind of when it took off. Like, every waking minute we were at the rink, like, we were like, we got to play spike ball. Like, 10 minutes before we're all nice, okay, let's play another round of spike ball. So that was fun for us. Do you ever get worried that you're going to be too intense before your pregame skate? Oh, they honestly, like, they don't know what to expect from me as a spike ball player. How would you describe yourself as a spike ball player? Uh, Very inconsistent. Like, I definitely, like, sometimes I'll use my head, sometimes I'll use my feet, and they do not like that. Hallie had to leave the game because she just couldn't deal with 
me being crazy anymore. So, um, but you're not bending the rules. No, I wasn't bending the rules no. at all, but I would make a stupid mistake and she'd be like, Oh, ah. what are you doing? Like you just wasted a turn. Uh, yeah, definitely not the best player on the team. So you've had uh, a turnstile of partners coming through then. Yeah, we kind of all rotate. So, okay. Yeah. Who do you think you had the most chemistry with? Ooh. Who's? Who I like was... playing with Blair because like yeah. she's intense and she's good. And Annie and I have a great relationship. So. But um, Bla- Blair kind of evens out your. Oh, Blair's serious. Like I know that I can't mess around when I'm on Blair's team because she'll get mad at me. Oh, so you don't even try out? No, the... I, I can't. I have to focus when I'm with Blair. <laughs> Or else she'll actually get mad at me. <laughs> yeah. Other moments? Yeah. Um, Outside of spike ball. Yeah. In China this year, like, after the rivalry series, we showed up uh, a few days later. So the team had already been there. Um, they were kind of all settled in. And it was our first day there. And I obviously have I – know, I know a few girls on the, on the Kunlun team. Um, and so they all have these scooters there mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, like these are so cool. Like everyone's riding a scooter and we're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, like, do you want to try it? And I'm like, sure. And she's the one thing that they said was just, just don't break it or crash it or anything like that. I'm like, okay, easy. Like I'm not going to crash it. Why would I want to crash it? Um, so I jump on the scooter and I'm driving and it's so fun. I'm just like cruising on the roads and I'm turning yeah. around and all the girls are walking. We're walking from the rink to um, the hotel and I'm with them, and all of a sudden I said to Dakota, like, Dakota, jump on. Like, it's so fun. Like, it'll be it'll be a blast. Um, but it turns out, like, the weight definitely shifts when you have two people on. So my <laughs> first day in China, I go to, like, stop, and I'm like, I don't know how to st- – it's like a brake, like a bicycle on the handles. Yeah, yeah. But also you can rev the engine. Or maybe not. Maybe it was a foot gas. I don't know. But somehow when she got on the bike, we spun out of control, and like would just go flying. Oh, no. And, like, we're stuck under this bike, and we, like, fall right away. And, uh, like, the first thing they said was, don't fall, don't crash. And, like, my knees, like, looks like it's broken underneath the bike, and, like, we're all scraped up. And Blair's like, you guys are so, like, what are you doing? Like, we have a game, like, in an hour, and you guys are, like, falling off this bike. She's like, I swear, I thought you broke your ankle. We were fine. The bike was fine, but it was really funny. We could not stop laughing. (laughs) First day in China, fall right off a scooter. Right on the injury report. Yeah. Um, like, I just couldn't imagine what I'd have to tell coach. Like, oh, yeah, I broke my arm riding a scooter. Did you like playing in China? Yeah, I, I liked playing in China. I thought it was, like, overall a cool experience. Definitely wasn't my best on-ice performance. I think that I was stuck in vacation mode. I was kind of like, oh, wow, we're in China. The weather's nice. Like, there's so many fun things to do. It was really hard for me to focus on hockey hmm. um, at that point because we were there just for kind of a short period of time, and there's so many things I wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I liked it because it, they had a full house, full rink of, of people watching, and it was just like kind of like the one time all year we were all able to be professionals, and no one had to go to work, and everyone could hang out all the time. So that was fun. I heard you got some success at the black market too. So, A, what did your haul look like? <laughs> and B, I just want to get some of your tips on how to negotiate and barter. Because oh. that's where you... Even if you didn't play well on the ice, you played well at the black market. The black market was definitely the best part of my trip. And I wish that there was more time for us to go back. But we only went one time and... Blair and I went together and we picked our each other very strategically because we knew we wanted to get in there and get our deals and get out. Um, she's very stern and very good at that. 
Um, so I kind of just like went off of her mm. lead and we like first started at like a sunglass store and we picked out all these, um, these like sunglasses. So that worked well. We ended up getting a great deal for them. And then we went on to the next store and we got some more deals and we're like, Whew, okay. Like we got the hang of this and we only had three hours in the black market and we could have honestly stayed there for six. Like we were having so much fun until like we ran out of money. So then we had to stop. My issue, though, was I couldn't figure out what I thought was fair value mm. before and and what they thought was like I or what they thought I was lowballing. So you've been. Yeah. Okay. I, I went with, sorry, uh, side note. I went with the team. The, oh, you did? The year previous. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. So when everyone was in their Olympic year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I had a list of things that I was like hoping to get. And yeah kind of knew the price ranges of that and I would just try to get them as low as possible and the funniest thing is like when you like just leave the store and they come like chasing after you down the hallway <laughs> that was like kind of the goal of every single store is like get them to chase you out and then they'll probably give you a good deal but definitely I came prepared and I knew what I wanted and I think I mostly succeeded I got a couple things that weren't on the list but happy with everything see that's what I needed to learn from yeah. you was I needed to get it to a point where the business owner was thirsty enough to chase you out. Strategize. You have to. Mm. Yeah, you gotta. Did you partake in any consumption of crazy foods over there? Uh, on our last night, we did like hot pot. Yeah. Um, and Zoe played there the year before, obviously. So she hooked us up pretty good um, at this restaurant. She knew the owner from her time there. And I wasn't too much of a fan of it. It was like half of it was really spicy. Half of it wasn't. But in the end, it all ended up getting mixed up. And it was so spicy. Like, <laughs> I like spicy, but that was just oh, the, eyes yeah. watering. But I, I, I was open to try anything. So it was fun. And that was one of the best bonding moments for our team. It's mm. like after the games, everything was done. We're in China. We're all together. It, w- it was really fun for us. At what point in the season did you feel, man, like we got this? Or at least, you know, we're going to be in the finals. Honestly, from day one of training camp, I looked around and I was like, wow, it's going to be very hard for them to pick a team, first of all. Everyone in training camp looked amazing. Um, second of all, we're, we're just going to be such a great team. And I was like, there's every type of person on the ice that you need. Um, you have the, the grinders and the skilled players and the hard workers. But I think more of the one thing that like really caught my attention was the off ice things, like the personalities that we had in our room. Like we had all sorts of personalities, all sorts of backgrounds, um, people who are working, people who weren't working, people who are from different countries. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the one thing I was like, wow, like we're, we're going to be a good team. And we lost our first game of the year. And that was kind of like an eye opening to us. Like we're like, OK, this sucks, but like we're better than that. And that that weekend was really uh, when I realized, like, okay, like, this is going to be a great year because our team's going to be great, but it's going to be a hard year, too. Have you had a chance to reflect on the Clarkson Cup victory, that game? Yeah, uh, I thought, I th- I've actually think, thought about it a lot. Um, that game kind of went by in a blur. Yeah. Uh, it's it's weird when it's just one game and it's one and done, but that's a lot of girls' hockey national championships are like that, so... Um, I just look back and I think of um, Zoe scoring her goals and she was due for that. I mean, Zoe had a great year and her putting up those goals, uh, that was special. And Dex classic slap shot goal practice. Yep. She practices that like every shot I ever practiced. If you ask Annie, Annie's like, yep, every warm up drill, it's like a slap shot from the point. 
Um, so that was that was good to see it pay off. Uh, Riggs played amazing. Um, Kelty stepped up, and Kelty uh, was a huge um, a huge momentum for us. Uh, she all year she kind of played different different roles in the team, and I think in the last game she really stepped up and um, played great. Uh, yeah, I just think about all each each girl on the team, like Hallie scoring Hallie scoring that goal, and I just know how hard we've worked all year and. Um, to see it kind of come together was awesome. So yeah, you guys win the championship, come back to Calgary. We got to go to the Flames game, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Um, being honored by the Flames uh, and just going backstage was an incredible experience. Yeah. And then like shortly after that, I mean, from my end anyway, I get text messages, notification on email about, you know, the CWHL shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I was, again, in shock. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience like? What was your perspective? Take me through that day. It was a Sunday. I remember that. Yeah, it was definitely a Sunday. Um, we were on such a high from winning a championship. And we had been celebrating all week. And we had been invited to the Flames game and to restaurants. And everyone wanted to be a part of it. And We'd walk down the street with the cup and 17th Ave and people would be like, whoa, those are the Infernal girls. Like, congrats. Like, it was just awesome. Like, the city embraced us and was really proud of us. And we were so excited to bring it back here. Um, And then it seemed like the next day, basically. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah, it it, it was really quick. Uh, The next day, the league was folded or we were... I think we were told on maybe Saturday or Friday that there would be a conference call on the Sunday. Nobody knew what it was about. Even like GMs, coaches, nobody, nobody had any idea. Um, and so we were kind of all messaging each other, like, what do you think this could possibly be? And we were like, oh, like someone's sponsoring us. Like someone's mm. investing in, a, in us. Like we're going to get more TV or something. We, we were all thinking positive. But in the back of my head, I was like, yikes. Like if no one knows what this is about, like this might not be good. This might not be what everyone's expecting. Um, so they actually had a PA call like half an hour before the whole call and Dakota, my roommate at the time was on the PA. And so I knew she'd be on the call at seven thirty AM, but I was going to be on the call at eight. And so I texted her at seven, like 40 when I woke up and I was like, what's going on? And she's like, just wait for the call. Like, just wait for the call. And I was like, what do you mean? And so I went into her room and she's like, the league gets folded. Like there's not going to be a league anymore. And I was like, what? So we wait for the call and they basically, they didn't really tell us too much. Um, they just told us that it wasn't going to be a sustainable option anymore and that the league was folded and that starting, I think it was like May 1st, that the league wouldn't exist anymore. Um, that's basically all the information we got. It just seemed really odd because it it appeared like the league was heading in a positive direction, the trajectory of where mm-hmm. it was going. Like you were saying, you know, the, the, the vibe was yeah. very optimistic. Yeah. And, like, all – the championship weekend was amazing. I mean, we yeah. had, like, so many fans of the games, and we went to do all this volunteer work, and everyone was so excited. And um, Like, what were the next 72 hours like after you guys won the championship? It was like we, we won the championship, and then that, like, that was it. Like, we were – we won the championship, and the commissioner was excited, and everyone involved was super excited and celebrating as if, like – we just won like there was no signs of anything and that's i think what the most shocking is we look back now we're like they knew but 
Hmm. Like they let us enjoy the moment, which was nice. But the whole time that we were like, how did they play it off like that? Yeah. We were like, wow. Um, it's, it was pretty upsetting, uh, obviously, to hear that your league was folding, especially uh, for, for me being a first-time player. Like I wanted to come back and fight again to, to keep the championship in Calgary. But for the players who had been in the league for a while, I mean, they put their blood, sweat, and tears into the league and – They've battled through it all um, from not getting paid to finally getting paid. Um, yeah, there's just lots of things that went on. Um, but it's upsetting for everyone, but I can see those girls um, being really crushed. So after that conference call with the league, what did the Inferno girls do and how did they communicate uh, and take me through that? Did you hold the team meeting somewhere? Did you guys yeah. all get on a, a call or something or like what? Did... Yeah, we've had a few calls since um, that day because we were just, there's so many questions like going on in our head. Uh, uh, are we going to get paid? Are we going to, what do we do with the trophy? Like, how could this happen? We had the best year. Mm-hmm. In our eyes, we had the best year. And I mean, they even said that it was the best year of the CWHL and the most successful yeah. year. So we were like, how, like just how basically. So we had a, a few conference calls with Kristen Hag, GM. Um, and she kind of just told us that they had no idea either and that, yeah, it just wasn't going to be sustainable and it was time to kind of shut it down. So then fast forward, you know, a few months and then you probably heard of the conversations happening of, you know, now we hear of the boycott and then also now the establishing of the professional women's players association. Yeah. Um, how did those two items come about? How did they form? Yeah. So when we um, heard of the news about the league folding, our PA, uh, which is incredible, uh, like Liz Knox in Dakota. Mm-hmm. and Shout out to Liz Knox. Yeah, shout out to Liz Knox. Um, she's yeah. She's been doing, putting in work um, for her, for, for us actually. Um, yeah, so they put out a message um, into their group chat being like, everyone put out this message. And so I, I don't remember what the exact message said, but basically it was saying that we were going to stick together. Um as one for the better of women's hockey and do what we can. And then I think that after that, uh, it kind of went on from there. And some of the U S national team players were like, look, like that's a great league. And like a lot of them were going to potentially come play in our league or, um, had, had played in both leagues and were like, that's a great league. Uh, and so I think that's when we realized that we needed, um, a sustainable option and we needed to get the resources that, uh, we deserve and uh, I don't think a lot of people realize like what we are asking for as players uh, our resources are like not millions of dollars but clear tape like flight money uh, post-game meals and stuff like that parking in airports it's just the little things that that seem so minuscule to people like even when I was a college student it was like oh sticks like that's easy we can get that for free from the equipment room or clear tape like we've got 500 rolls over there but hmm. we didn't have that and female hockey players don't have that. And that's the, like the little things that we're, we're trying to get um, throughout this movement. So there was a lot of influence from the U.S. players because they had kind of gone through a similar boycott in 2017. Right? Yeah, I think we're lucky to have such smart and intelligent leaders in the women's hockey game. Like, yeah. Like they're so smart. Um, it's more than just they're great hockey players, but they're great people. And um, like people like Brian Jenner and like Hillary Knight and Kendall Coyne, they've done amazing things for us. And they're kind of spirit, they're kind of leading the way for us. Uh, and I think that it wasn't 
it wasn't a Canada versus U.S. thing anymore. It was women's hockey and what's going to be best yeah. for our sport. And it's bigger than the rivalry. Yeah, right? it's we 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 knew that we needed to come together. We want to play in the best league. We want people to see our our product, and our product is good on the ice. So we want that to be recognized, and we we think that we deserve to get um, some resources and get paid to to play. So now that those two pieces are in motion, have you thought about? how to build on this um, and maybe even more specifically what aspects from the CWHL did you appreciate that you would like being implemented in the next league whenever it forms? Yeah, definitely. It was a, the CWHL. I have no complaints about it. Um, from my point of view, everything was smooth. Um, we had our flights. We had um, not like, I, I'm not too sure. Um, how much involvement the CWHL has with meals and stuff like that. But um, our organization was incredible, either fundraising or putting together the funds. Um, Did you have clear tape? Yes. Okay, good. But, Just checking. But it was not always easy to come by. Hmm. And I heard that the year before in China, they didn't have all the clear tape they needed. But we had clear tape. But it's just like the little things that you don't even think about, uh, like hotels and traveling the day of a game versus yeah. traveling the night before a game. Uh, taking off work, uh, just the little things that you don't even really notice from the outside, but they mean a lot when you're in the game and on the team. So tell me a little bit more about the PWHPA. The PWHPA is basically basically an organization that the players um, began right after the CWHL folded, um, mostly just kind of to have one voice and to have um, the opportunity to speak about women's hockey and to kind of work together to get the resources and get the um, acknowledgement that we deserved. And so we put together the organization um, spearheaded by like Brianne Jenner and Shannon Zavados and Hillary Knight and Kendall Coyne and players like that um, who kind of have been through it all. They've been part of the women's hockey game when there wasn't um, as much media coverage when they weren't getting paid, uh, things like that. So those girls, they know what we deserve and they've been working their whole careers, um, for it. And so they kind of came together and they got lawyers involved and they got, um, the right people involved to create an, an organization. And now, um, hopefully this organization will allow us to train in certain hubs and then come together, um, at different points, uh, of the year to train and um, play games. Do you foresee this association still being around once the new league comes up? Yeah, I definitely think that's that's our goal is um, we're starting this organization now so that um, one day uh, when our league does come and I say it's going to come and I think it will, um, this organization will continue to help us fight for what we deserve. And, I mean, that's why they have an NHL PA is because the players um, – players in the NHL still fight for things and yeah I definitely think that the that our our association will continue on uh when the new league comes so another thing I wanted to talk about which is near and dear to your heart uh I was introduced to it by the inferno but DIFD Mm -hmm. do it for Darren um which has been a pretty cool initiative and I guess it's been happening all around but um you know it's really close to you uh Mm -hmm. so what exactly is this initiative and how did it all start? So the do it for Darren, uh, foundation is actually, uh, was created in in memory of one of my good friends and lifelong teammates, Darren Richardson. Uh, when we were in the ninth grade, she took her own life 
And um, from then on, it was obviously extremely devastating for us um, as young girls and as young hockey players. Um, kind of just to deal with our grief, we wanted to honor our friend. Um, and so we began by putting purple tape, her favorite color, on our sticks and then purple laces and purple ribbons in our hair. So it kind of just started simple like that. And uh, so she passed away. And the next weekend, actually, we had a hockey tournament. And so we decided that we wanted to play and honor her. Um, We actually filled our minor hockey rink with families and people all over the Ottawa community came out to watch us. Um, So that was that was incredible. It was definitely the hardest time of my life. And um, thinking back then, we had so much support from everyone all over the city. Um, but purple was her favorite color. Um, so we decided to create just, just DIFD, do it for Darren. Like we were playing our tournament. We wanted to do it for her. We wanted to win for her. Um, and then it kind of just, it kind of just stemmed from there. So we made helmet stickers and that's kind of the one thing that's lasted, um, along the way is just a purple helmet sticker that says DIFD. And Darren's older sister, Morgan went to Cornell and she, um, brought it to university with her, obviously. Um, so she put helmet stickers on her helmets and then boys started wearing like my brothers and his friends and their friends. And so it kind of ended up all over the place. And it, it's just basically, um, a foundation so that people can start talking about youth mental health, um, and suicide. And it's one topic of conversation that it's really difficult to have. And, um, we didn't know to have those conversations back then. And, um, but now we do have those conversations and, uh, we talk about um, how we feel, and we. I, I think it's extremely important to talk to your teammates and to talk to your friends um, and to check in on people. And I think that's the one thing that DIFD has really allowed us to do in the community is just um, kind of open our hearts and open our ears to people around us. And um, it's it's been crazy. Uh, what we thought was just going to be our team wearing a sticker um, has created this movement and. Um, this foundation and it's doing so many things in Ottawa that like the Youth Services Bureau um, so places that people can go to to get the support that they need and uh, it's it's pretty crazy that that's like our friend and it's in her memory and yeah it, it's definitely the organization that I hold like nearest to my heart and I'm just uh, pretty proud of us um, at such a young age being able to overcome that and create something good out of it. I just want to have a moment of real talk yeah mental health all that um in the ninth grade, again, probably shock was mm-hmm. probably the first thing you you felt. You can't believe that happened. But how did you overcome that? As a team, we're actually all together when we learned of her passing. And it was, I just didn't really understand it. In my eyes as a 14-year-old girl, like the world was perfect and nothing could go wrong. And um, so for me, it was extremely shocking. And I, I just remember leaning on my teammates. And I think that, um, I mentioned before that our team in Ottawa was always really close. Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons why we were so close. Um, it really brought us together. Darren was the type of teammate, um, who was always the center of attention because everyone loved to be around her. And, uh, she made everyone laugh. She was the one who was singing in the locker room and she was the one who everyone wanted to hang out with in the hotels. And, and so I think that's why it was also so shocking for everyone in the community. Um, Darren was always happy and positive. And I think that's one thing that even your happiest friend can be the one um, that's suffering the most. And we didn't know to have those conversations at all, especially with the happiest teammate. Um, so that's one thing that 
I've learned from this is that you never know who's suffering and suffering in silence um, happens more than you think. And it happened to, to one of my best friends. And so if we had known to talk and ask about it, and if she had known um, to speak up about it, um, we'd be in a different situation, but uh, she's not here to tell us why. And she's mm-hmm. not here um, to explain, but I, I just think that it's our job from now on to, to have those conversations and kind of start the conversation and erase the stigma around it because it was hard as a ninth grader explaining to people what happened and I didn't really fully understand like how that could happen but definitely the stigma around it it's tough and it's it's hard to talk about even to this day um, bringing it up to people so that's one thing I think that we're trying to slowly remove but you felt like the biggest thing that helped you overcome was just talking about it yeah with your, with your teammates family and friends family yeah for sure I mean my my parents um, are very open. I've always been open with them, but we're okay with talking about our feelings. And it's obviously not every day seem to be your best day, but we talk about our sad days and we talk about our good days. And I think that's one thing that our friends also like. It's it's very upsetting. We have to talk about what happened, but we reflect on our past um, and our experience with Darren and um, the mental health experience. To this day, I think that's a topic of conversation that we have. We're we're constantly checking in with each other and. We've created this bond and it's um, so strong that it's hard to even like describe the the friends that I had that season are like my best friends to this day. Um, and so it's always like fun when we're together because we all share that experience. Um, we share that experience together. So it's good to see them because I, I know that like one of the hardest things in our lives to go through, we all went through together. So it's, it's comforting knowing that, that they're there. Um, but it's definitely it made us check in on each other. And I think that throughout the years, um, playing together and um, watching them all go off to their schools and knowing that there's going to be stressful moments that we could just talk to each other about it openly. Mm-hmm. Did it shift your perspective at all around the game of hockey or maybe even what the game of hockey could do in yeah, um, bringing awareness to this? It definitely opened my eyes to how close-knit the hockey community is, mm-hmm. uh, especially in Ottawa. Uh, I basically knew every girl my age playing hockey sure. um, per, on a personal level. I mean, uh, like we were all friends, even if we weren't on the same team. And Darren's dad was this assistant coach for the Senators. Um, so the Sens really um, opened up the conversation. And the Richardsons were extremely open about Darren's passing. And they took it upon themselves um, to share how she passed because they knew that there needed to be a conversation about it. And so a lot of us kind of used what they did and open how they shared their story and we're like okay if they're going to be strong enough to share their story then we can we can do the same and we can um that's awesome help them yeah do as much as we can and like i've said luke was the coach um for the sense of the time and he he was he was in the spotlight in the city of ottawa and he was open about it and he um the the sense kind of took it on and they made a uh do it for darren game and so we we did events throughout um, most of my time in Ottawa, um, kind of in Darren's memory, and it kind of just grew from there. And it's just, yeah, the, the Ottawa hockey community and the hockey community in general is so strong that uh, it's something you see on little girls' helmets today. When I walk into the rink and I'm like, wow, you're six years old and you have a do-it-for Darren sticker. Like, that's what we wanted, and that's cool to me to see. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um 
DIFD is huge yeah. and it's important to continue that conversation. Yeah. And yeah, like reach out to someone if you, you know, are not having a good day or yeah, going through mean, a rough patch. Even if I, if someone didn't know me and they reached out to me because I have do it for Darren in my bio, like on Instagram or Twitter, like I would, I would honestly take the time to just reach out to them and talk to them about it because, um, it happened to my friend and it could happen to anyone. And, um, it's, it's our goal to, to, to stop it from happening and erasing the stigma and youth mental health and high school and, um, the recruiting process and hockey and scouts and all this is extremely stressful, but there are people you can talk to and there's ways to cope through it. Um, and yeah, just talk about it. And again, it's bigger than the game of hockey. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's huge and it can change lives so that's awesome thank you so much for coming here on story island it was (laughs) terrific hearing your story and your journey through hockey yeah thank you so much for having me it's fun being here wonder if they ever talk about us wonder Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content or to get more context on some of the stories Becca was talking about, check out some other podcasts from her former Inferno teammates. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Find us on Facebook or Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Becca's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.